Today on The Travel Guys. In the travel news, it's over for Planet Hollywood in Vegas, and Spirit Airlines takes its turn in the meltdown land. Those stories next. In our Smarter Traveler segment, we talk about carry-on bags on the plane. Is it time to do something about the overhead space hogs who ignore the rules? As it appears, Frontier Airlines may be doing. I've just returned from a tour of many of America's favorite baseball landmarks. For those who might consider such a trip on their own, I have some tips and a few highlights from our journey at 335. Finally, at 350, we dip into the mailbag and answer a few of your questions from rental cars to national parks. You asked and we'll answer. Welcome to the show that makes you a smarter traveler. Thanks for joining us on The Travel Guys. On the road again, I've been everywhere, man. Locally grown, locally sourced, we are the travel and entertainment guys. Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming along on a, a fabulous uh, Sunday afternoon. Mark, how have you been? I Well, I, of course, you've been I've to been. the ballparks. You, yeah, you, you took <laughs> off for 10 days and... We can't, I can hardly wait till the 335 so yeah, we can uh, hear yeah. all about your favorite landmarks and baseball galore. We had even, a good time. Even with the Giants losing as we speak. Yeah, many of the folks who who uh, listen to this program may or may not know that I own a, a tour company in town and have for over 40 years. So I take people places, oftentimes in groups medium-sized groups of people 20 to 30 folks on the road most of the time and we went off on a baseball related journey over the last nine days and yeah i do want to talk about that but the most maybe the we had a really good time the most amazing thing about this trip was the people who went with me um not only were they wonderful 22 wonderful people to travel with but they were the biggest baseball fans i have ever seen i've been doing this for i've been doing this for a long time and i've taken a lot of people on extended baseball trips around the country, and we've gone to a lot of cool places, a lot of different stadiums and things like that. But I had 22 folks who were just – they were – every time we went – you know, sometimes you'll take a group into a, a, a small-town museum or something, and after 20 or 30 minutes, you know, most folks are kind of done. And we went to all of these different baseball places, and you could hardly get the people out of them. <laughs> um, so – it was That's we ended great. we ended yesterday with Jackie Robinson and Yogi Berra in New York and New Jersey their um memory capsules I will call them and gosh we had a great time so we'll talk some about that um at the bottom of the hour yes sir I've been asked more than once uh when you have a trip like that and especially you know these are trips that that are kind of annual things you you mm-hmm. do it almost every year uh and the question of course is how many repeat travelers do you get? A lot, a lot. The folks, I had 22 people on this trip. 18 of them had previously traveled with our companies. There were only four new people. Um, and, and many of those 18 are frequent 
are, I could look at them and see and, and say, wow, those people have spent a lot of money with my company over the years. Right. But it, were they the same people on the same trip? Is what No, I was not at. necessarily. But that's as a small company, we kind of vary our product. We have some things we do the same every year or we, you know, we make minor minor updates or upgrades or something like that. But the baseball trips tend to be a different genre every time. This time we concentrated not so much on the games, but on the places. And so my guess is that next year we probably will pick out someplace cool where the Giants are going and follow them for a while and then try to hit one or two other landmarks in that area. But in this case, we had everything from the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame in Kansas City to Cooperstown, where the other baseball Hall of Fame is. Um, saw a game at Wrigley Field, went to the field. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk some more about it later on, but it was it was a lot of fun. All right. Well, at the top of every Travel Guys radio program, the first thing, or at least close to that, that we try to do is bring you up to date on the travel news. And with it, here's Mark. As soon as we can get Mark to stop babbling about other things, while well, we can get on with the program. Uh, let's see here. What do we got in the travel news? Uh, oh, this is kind of cool. This might be something that... Uh, Will, that some people will enjoy if you put your ID on your phone so that your ID is mobile, basically. Um, TSA is now accepting mobile IDs for pre-check passengers in Maryland. The reason this is a, a good story is because it's a, it's a test to see if this works. And if it does, why then, um, hypothetically, you would no longer need your physical driver's license to get on an airplane. The only thing that bothers me about this is phones run out of juice. And the younger it seems like people are, the more often they get caught with phones that have run out because they've used them so much since the last time they charged them. And I can just see this picture of somebody getting to TSA and intending to use their phone to check in and finding that there is no juice and now they have no paper ID or no physical ID and it'd be hard to get on the plane. But anyways, maybe I'm just an old dinosaur in that in that respect. So TSA is trying a new way for you to be able to present IDs check in. We've talked about airlines having meltdowns. Of course, there are many folks who still won't speak to Southwest Airlines after what happened uh, to them over the Christmas and New Year's holidays last year. Spirit Airlines got their turn in the penalty box this week. Uh, on Thursday, they had a computer meltdown, which caused about 90% of their flights to either be delayed or canceled. It was mostly in the morning. Um, so the good news is that the flights later in the day were able to operate. The bad news is that because it was in the morning, it cascaded throughout the system. And so everything that operated later in the day was late, dramatically late, and all of that jazz. Spirit, you know, has that that schedule that's not every day of the week. So sometimes they fly to certain places on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So if the Tuesday flight doesn't go, it's not like you get on the next one the next day. In some cases, it might only be once or twice a week. Allegiant is is a is more on that once and twice a week type of schedule. But nonetheless, um, Spirit Airlines had a pretty serious meltdown last week. Be be grateful that you were not didn't have a ticket and were flying on Spirit on Thursday. There you go. Or probably Friday, because there were probably a few planes and crews that might have been a little bit out of place. Um, an airline has opened reservations for the first ever electric, electric 
commercial flights. SAS Airlines in uh, Scandinavia is their Swedish-based airline, and they are um, working on having uh, a couple of their commuter planes, 30-seat, 30-passenger planes, are going to fly entirely on electricity. So we will keep an eye on that and see what happens there because that was that sounds like kind of a cool deal. They're trying airlines. uh, Speaking of running out of juice at the at the wrong time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I guess that would be a little bit bigger deal than your phone not lighting up at the uh, TSA counter, uh, Mm -hmm. being up in the air and having the pilot, you know, having the lights go off, so to speak. Right. Um, here's an interesting story. Hawaii's largest airport shuts down their some gates due to bed bugs. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Seems like the little critter showed up in the airport um, last where? week. Which and one? where? At the, at, the you... at some gates. What airport? At Honolulu. I'm sorry. Ha- Honolulu. Honolulu. Okay. Yes. Yes. So a few folks go into there. Seems as though bed bugs are really good hiders. And really hard to find. So they went through and knocked down the whole part of the terminal after closing the gates. And now apparently this weekend, overnight, they're going to do it again and then perhaps again next week to make sure that they get all these little critters. Because, you know, they love to hitchhike. Uh, Bed bugs are great hitchhikers. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather come back from Hawaii with a tan and not not some bed bugs because they're really hard to get rid of. A tip to the wise here, uh-huh. okay? Uh, I learned this one from my wife who thought of it. When you come home from a vacation, you play, you, your luggage was on the plane, all that, don't immediately take it in the house, throw it on the couch, or throw it on your bed. Best bet is to put it in the garage. Or if you've got some space in the backyard and the weather's nice, and let it chill for a little bit, take things out and wash them systematically and then when you're all done do your best to vacuum out and clean your uh, your suitcase before you fly again all right all right since we're talking about things like this i'll give you another one um okay. folks go into the airport and they consistently you know folks who have a a carry-on bag and it's literally a bag with a handle on it and a bottom and frequently they will set it on the floor of the airport um, sometimes they will set it on the floor of maybe the restroom when they go in. You know, there's not mm-hmm. always a place to hang up a bag, uh, things like that. And then they take it home and set it like on the coffee table or on the bed or <laughs> um, whatever like that. So think about the possibility of taking a hot rag with a little soap on it and just going over the bottom of your suitcase or the bottom sure. of your bags that you travel with because who knows what kind of guck is down there. But anyway, thank you to Mama Romano for uh, mm-hmm. for that little travel tip. The U.S., we've been talking about airlines um, and other travel entities being slow to refund people post-COVID. Um, the U.S. Department of Transportation has fined U.S. Airways $1.1 million over delayed refunds. Seems like over 1,200 complaints came in against U.S. Airways for failing to refund passengers in a timely manner. Um, as is usually the case in these instances, the airline can get half of the penalty back um, if it does a good job in refunding people going forward over the next 12 months. Um, so the Department of Transportation says a lack of telephone service phone lines meant people were unable to request refunds for months. What a scam. 
I mean, this is British Airways, but how can you possibly sell something to somebody and then you you don't provide it or you don't provide it properly and then you make it impossible for them to get their money back? As a business person, I just find that incredible that your business model could include something like that. Does that not no. make you crooked? Yes. Yes. <laughs> And why would you want to do business with them? With somebody who is crooked, unless, you know, the crooked airline is the only one that flies into your city. Um, we, we talk about travel up and down and when are the prices going to come down and things like that. Here's something that might be an indicator. The West Coast travel market, is reported by Beat of Hawaii, um, has dropped unexpectedly at the end of summer and early fall. Um, it's still ahead of what it was in 2019, but it's not where it was last year. So that may indicate that perhaps either people are not making as many trips overall or perhaps they're just not making as many trips to Hawaii. And if you're going to the islands any time this summer, a TSA has issued a special advisory warning you that the busiest times in Hawaiian airports, inter-island airports, not early in the morning as you would think on mainland airports, but the middle of the day when people are changing islands. They've checked out of their hotel. They're not going to check out and fly on a 7 o'clock flight because 30 minutes later when they get to their the other island, their hotel isn't going to be ready. So they're going to, they're going to check out late morning. They're going to fly middle of the day. They're going to get to the other island, have lunch, something like that. So 10 to 2 is one of the busiest times to fly. TSA is warning you if you're going to the islands, even if you're just making a little inner island jaunt, it's likely that the time you spend in line at TSA will be longer than the flight. So uh, make sure you allow enough time, especially if you're flying in that middle-of-the-day segment in the islands this summer. Mm -hmm. And that's your travel news for today. Wow, good stuff. Thanks, Mark. If I'm a little crackly today in my studio, I don't know why, and we can't seem to figure it out. So, uh, Mark, uh, we'll let you do the majority of the talking, which never happens, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, first, a, a quick go back from the, the first segment there. In our headlines, we mentioned that Planet Hollywood is no longer going to be in Las Vegas. And then, like a dummy, I dropped that on the floor while I was going through the news stories here. Anyway, Planet Hollywood has been in Las Vegas for 30 years. I remember when Planet Hollywood was really one of the biggest names in Las Vegas. It was a big deal when they opened there. And they people flocked to that casino well anyway um, planet hollywood is says that uh planet hollywood is over and so there's going to be a different name on planet hollywood so sorry that i missed that particular story um we in the smarter traveler segment here we are going to talk a little bit today about carry on bags this is something we've talked about before i'm sure this won't be the last time that we talk about it it's a point of contention among many people who travel, particularly those of us who have to fly in coach most of the time. Once in a while, the gods at United Airlines smile on this frequent traveler, and I'm able to get up into the forward section. But most of the time, um, all of us in the great unwashed, a few of us have a, a little bit more leg room than the rest. But nonetheless, one thing we have to contend with all the time is, is there going to be enough room for my bag in the overhead? Or at the last minute, am I going to have to check it? And if that happens and I have a connection, is my bag going to make it there uh, on time? And all of the things that are connected with that. And then, of course, you've got the people who get on board. And we've talked about this before recently. 
about folks who, you know, you put your coat over your wheelie bag trying to hide the fact that you've really got three carry-ons, not two, and probably the wheelie bag is bigger than what the regulation is. And so you're going to need half a bin when you get on board. Um, never mind you're playing the game uh, with the flight attendants and the gate agents of let's see if we can get this past you. But that's all fine and wonderful. But when you get on the plane and you've got all that junk, then it has to go somewhere. And isn't it interesting that the people who have the most stuff oftentimes put the least under their seat? There isn't a lot of room on airplanes, and you put something under your seat, you're going to be in pretty tight quarters. But the reality is that if you're bringing a whole bunch of junk on the plane and taking up more than your share of the overhead, then maybe you might want to just consider the possibility of slipping that purse or that backpack under your seat or at least waiting until the bins around you fill up with people because somebody else may put a backpack up there or something. You could put yours on top of it. Therefore, it wouldn't take up as much space. At Frontier Airlines, they have come up with a unique idea, one we suspect has been used at other places but has never been able to be confirmed. But Frontier confirmed last week, Tom, that the airline is paying people, their staff at the gate, $10 for each bag charged at the gate. Frontier defended the policy, insisting that it was incentivizing employees to ensure compliance with the bag size requirements to ensure all customers are treated fairly, including the majority who comply with the rules. Well, that all makes perfect sense. And mm-hmm. thank you, Frontier Airlines. But I have nothing. everything at Frontier Airlines has a dollar sign attached to it, everything they do. So no doubt this does, too. Um, They're paying the employee $10 for each bag they catch at the gate, but that means that they're putting another $25 in their pocket for the airline. So this is not revenue neutral from their standpoint of view. My concern, and the concern, um, this is a story that comes from our buddy Chris Elliott um, on his uh, subscription part of his website, um, Elliot.org, if you're interested, one of the best travel websites, two L's, two T's, um, around anywhere. Anyway, lots and lots of comments posted on Chris's website about this. And, um, basically, one of the things that people became concerned with is, so you've got this gate agent and they're making, making sure that folks don't get on board with bags that are too large. And we've all seen this, people who go down the jetway with a bag that's bigger than they are and they get it onto the plane and you're wondering, how in the heck did somebody get this past the gate person and right. the flight attendants? And, and you know, now they can barely get it into the overhead. Um, and how could all of that happen? I mean, what in the world is going on here? So having somebody who is incentivized to catch as many people as possible. Now, let's say you're a Frontier agent and you're working – it's probably going to happen in Sacramento. We don't have as many Frontier flights, but let's say there was three or four outbound flights a day. If you can nail two people a flight, then that's an extra 80 bucks you're putting in your pocket. That would that would add up at the end of the week, month, pay period, whatever it is. My concern is, does that – I've met more than – you know, and I don't – there's probably people who work for airlines who will listen to the show regularly. Well, I know that there are. Um and so this is not a rag on every gate agent, but certainly there are some out there who on a bad day um, would look at somebody and say, hey, you know, I can make 10 bucks here. That That's really close. That bag is over the size limit. 
or you're over the size limit by a quarter inch or something like that, or it just won't fit down into the sizer real easily. And the flight now you've got to have an argument with the flight attendant as to whether or not it's legal or not. Or do the wheels make it illegal? Are wheels included in the size of the bag? Or, um, mm-hmm. you know, is that coat that's sticking out of the top of your backpack, is that make does that count to the sizing? I can see some disagreements there some of them happening just as you're ready to get on the airplane. So that would be a concern to me, but I would love to see airlines crack down. This is the deal. When the highway patrolman police a certain part of the highway several times over a short period of time, you find that people will slow down and behave themselves there because they've seen mm-hmm. the patrolman and it's a carrot and a stick sort of thing in reverse. Same thing here. If the airlines put out a thing and said, look, all right, it's summertime, it's busy, the planes are full, uh, we're going to really enforce these rules about carry-ons, I think you would see a sizable difference. And I think if all the airlines, or even a couple of them, United, Delta, America, American, Southwest, for God's sake, on Southwest, checking your bags is free. So I, I don't understand why you have to bring that stuff 20 minutes after you get off the plane. It'll be downstairs waiting for you. So right. I I really don't understand all of that stuff. But anyways, if you if if you are one of those folks who schleps a lot of stuff on the plane and tries to hide it from the from the the gate agents and stuff, shame on you. The rest of us have to share that space too. And maybe your day in court is coming. And if you fly Frontier Airlines, it may be coming very soon. Very good. Uh great information and I think everybody has experience the overhead bin hogs and uh well we'll see where it goes from here I was thinking about mark those uh, folks stuck on the uh, on the road wherever they may be going as they mentioned uh out 50 to the causeway and so forth and yeah well if you're if you're one of those people thanks for coming along i mean it, that's what the radio is for in an automobile is mm-hmm. to you know kind of fill those spaces and give you some entertainment especially if you're driving alone uh, while you're while people, you're on the road, people listen to radio in different ways than they did twenty or thirty years ago. I think Tom, it's it's and, and of course you didn't have cell phones with apps and things like that. And I mean, I have serious satellite radio on my phone, so that mm-hmm. when the mood strikes me and I'm out on the road and I want to listen to a bunch of music from a certain genre or catch up on the news or anything like that, I I can do so. I mean, who who even would have dreamed? that everybody would be walking around basically with a radio in their pocket. It would have made listening to the transistor radio and catching the World Series in fourth grade a lot easier if it had been on the phone, (laughs) and I wouldn't have had to listen to it. I could have just laid the phone on my desk and watched the play-by-play, you know, or each pitch on MLB.com instead of, yes, well, that it would have saved a lot of adhesive tape that had to be used to tape that transistor radio to my the side of my stomach and then run the earphone <laughs> up through the back of my, yes. And no, you didn't. You didn't I really did. Do I, that's how I listened to the 1964 World Series, the Cardinals and the Yankees. And now I'm dating myself just a little bit here. But um, years later, 
I run into my I, – I, I'm sitting in a class. Class is in a U shape, so I figure I'm in the back of the U. I can probably get away with this. So I tape the phone, and I'm – you know, and I run it up the back and, and into my ear, and I'm listening to the game. Because remember, World Series games used to be played during the day during the week. Right, right. So Tuesday, right Wednesday – school. Yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there was no way to be able to watch it, so I'm going to listen to it on the radio. So years ago – later, I'm at a travel show. Teacher – um, walks by from that class, and I yell at her, and, and, and she comes over, and I said, I don't know if you remember me or not. I'm, I'm Mark Hoffman, and you taught me in third and fourth grade. And she says, oh, I remember you easily. She said, you're the kid who listened to the World Series when you were in my class. <laughs> and, um, and I said I, I said to her, I said, I was amazed, and I said, um, so if you knew I was listening to the radio, why is it that you didn't say something or stop me from doing it? And she said, well... Mark, two things. She says, one is, I felt like if you had gone to that much effort, that it was obviously really important to you, and that, and she said, I was going to respect that. And she said, the other thing is, you were quieter those three days than any other time during the two years you were in my class. So she said, I wasn't about to ruin that. Um, yeah, so great, great old baseball story, which kind of segues into what we're going to talk about here. I just came back uh, with 22 wonderful people from a nine-day journey, it was called Fields of Dreams, and we went to a lot of baseball landmarks. And while I would like to share with you some of that stuff, I also want to give you some ideas. If we ran into people along the way who were doing variations of what we were doing or wished that they were, and I talk to folks all the time who don't want to enlist the tour company to do this but would like to try it on their own, I will tell you that if you get someone to put it together for you and you're willing to pay them to do it, um, and maybe even travel with them, that your chances of doing some of these things are a little greater because there were some enhancements that we had. I'll explain. We started out in Kansas, flew to Kansas City, went to the Negro Leagues Museum there, which is basically their Hall of Fame. It's there because the Kansas City Monarchs were the strongest uh, franchise in the Negro Leagues. And so the Kansas City Museum, probably for lots of reasons, but that being one of them, is in Kansas City. So it showcases all the players that before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier um, were had a league of their own. And so it talks about the great players from those leagues. And it's really interesting because you wonder how those players, where would they have fallen on the line of the Babe Ruths and the Lou Gehrigs and all of the famous players of the 20s, 30s, and 40s had they been able to play alongside white players uh, in the major leagues. So interesting place. From there, um, traveled by, by bus through uh, uh, Kansas, through, uh, Kansas and not Kansas, through Iowa, and up to the Field of Dreams. And that movie site where the movie was filmed in the 90s is in Dyersville, Iowa. And the field is still there. They have started developing kind of a baseball complex alongside it, and there are a few gift shops and stuff now. So if you went to this site the first 10 years after the movie, there was nothing there but the house and the field and some gloves and a couple balls in a box that you could borrow to have to play catch on a diamond if you wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. Little league teams and youth teams and stuff like that use the diamond. Of course, they played a major league baseball game there for a couple of years. Um, we went. If you go to the Field of Dreams, my suggestion is get a tour of the house. They now have guided tours, I think they're 20 bucks a person, of the house that was used in the movie. 
you will learn a lot of things about the field of dreams and about the movie and about the house. And I suggest to you that um, probably most people who are going to go there have seen the movie. After you go there, watch the movie again because you'll pick up all kinds of things that they'll tell you about when you do the house tour. So you definitely want to do the house tour while you're there. And that's what kind of adds a measure of of information to what you're doing. There's a baseballism store there, a couple of other gift shops. Uh, like I said, there are baseball games going on there on a fairly regular basis, especially after school is out in the afternoon or on weekends. Um, really a special place for a baseball fan to visit. From there, we went to Wrigley Field. Um, just know that if you're ever going to visit Wrigley Field for a ball game, that parking is out of the question anywhere near there. You go to Kings games on a regular basis, Tom. Mm-hmm. You know that parking at Kings games is a little bit of a challenge. If you, it, it 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 is it is you know fortunately the Kings have uh, uh, partnered with a lot of the parking lots and there's an app that you can use to help hunt them down. But I would say it would be much much more difficult. Uh, uh, for in New York, Wrigley, and all. Not like the old arena at Arco, where you drove out and parked in a huge parking lot. Um, That's true. Which is, you know, some somewhat perfect, but lots of arenas are like Capital One in Sacramento. They've been located in places. You know, here we're lucky. We have state office buildings that they can use for parking in the evening when they're not being used. Uh, not every city has that. Wrigley has very little parking near the stadium. You're going to walk a half a mile to three-quarters of a mile to get into Wrigley Field and out, and that's what our folks had to do. So just know that the parking situation at Wrigley, they have shuttle buses. You could park in an outlying area. You could stay in a hotel that was a few miles away and uh, take an Uber to and from. But even things like that, even Ubers and taxis and stuff, um, it's crammed into a neighborhood. There are some other ballparks that are like this. So for your Wrigley journey, make sure you allow plenty of time. Or go and tour the field on a day when the Cubs are out of town, if you, you're not necessarily dying to see a game there. Um, it's a fun place to see a ball game. The concession lines are long. You can bring your own food into the ballpark. Unlike many parks, they want you to bring hmm. a clear bag, and they're very limited in the size of the bags. But you can you know, stop and get your favorite deli sandwich or whatever and avoid the prices at the ballpark and bring that in with you. You can bring sealed bottles of water in with you, save yourself 20 or 30 bucks in concessions, and, uh, and be able to enjoy the ball game instead of standing in line for half of the day. Uh, also, we stayed in Chicago at the Sheraton Suites at O'Hare uh, Airport, and right across the parking lot was Harry Carey's Restaurant. It's been moved from downtown Chicago out there, and so we had dinner there. And all over the walls of that restaurant are all these wonderful pictures of baseball history. So that involve Harry and some of the people that were in the booth with him and stuff like that. So you you want to be able to allow yourself time to be able to walk around the restaurant. Go in when they're not so busy. Go in at the beginning of dinner or at the end of dinner. So that we were lucky we were there on Memorial Day night. So there weren't there wasn't much business in the restaurant and, and we were able to kind of explore at our leisure. Um take your wallet when you go to Harry Carey's because uh, you're gonna need it. Um, it's kind of like going to Ruth Chris or something like that. So it's it's an upscale steakhouse. The food is amazing. Um, from Chicago, we flew to Albany and then bus to Cooperstown. So this is one of those things where, you know, somebody's putting this together for you. If you're renting a car and you're driving it one way and flying and stuff, the cost of the one-way rental car is going to get up there a little bit. But it can be done. 
if you're determined enough to do it. Um, Cooperstown is a small city in upstate New York. It doesn't have a lot of hotels in town. There is a Best Western and I think a Comfort Inn uh, fairly nearby. Uh, there also is the Otisaga Hotel, which is where the Hall of Famers stay. It's the classic, old, beautiful hotel in town. It's where we chose to stay because Cooperstown is really a special place to visit. Many people are only going once, so uh, we try to do it up grand. The restaurants at the hotel are wonderful. Um, there is, But for Cooperstown, if you're a baseball fan, make sure you allow yourself three or four hours. You might not think that you could spend that much time in a museum. But if you're a baseball fan and you get there, um, trust me, uh, it's it's really quite it's really quite amazing. Um, they have a video there that is really really worth seeing. I won't give it away, but just make sure when you go to Cooperstown that uh, you see the big video. Um, it's really 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 worth seeing. Uh, it was it was just spectacular. Cooperstown, if you're a baseball fan, is everything that you want it to be. So cool. if you're if you're a fan and you've never been there, you need to take time and go there and spend. And, and Cooperstown, the village, is a wonderful little like five block long place, and uh, it has all kinds of baseball gift shops and a few restaurants and things like that. It is his baseball fans' heaven. So if you're going there, we when we left Cooperstown by coach, we stopped on the way to New York City in Sleepy Hollow, Terrytown, and had lunch, and went to a. Uh, a uh, cemetery nearby where Babe Ruth is uh, final resting place, the Gate of Heaven, it's called, in Hawthorne, New York. And the Babe has quite a a very nice grave there. We went and paid our respects. And not too far from the Babe, about maybe 100 feet, a little bit up the hill, lays Billy Martin, um, who in his long baseball career was actually manager of the Oakland A's for a short period of time. Mm Um, was fired by George Steinbrenner four or five times and rehired each time. <laughs> um, if you're a longtime baseball fan, you will you will know that. But anyway, that was just a little side thing. Oh, and Cooperstown. I forgot. Um, we do this special thing where we pay some extra money, and they enhance our visit by bringing out artifacts that aren't on display. And so they brought out things for the Giants and the A's and let us have a look at things and told the story behind all of these under other wonderful relics that you wouldn't normally get to see. We did the same thing in Yankee Stadium in New York City, and the Yankees brought out for us a couple of baseball bats. One of them was a game-used bat by Aaron Judge, so that was cool. Everybody had to put on gloves and stuff, and so because these really? are you know part of their collection, and wow. so you could hold the Aaron Judge bat, but it was the other bat that was really special. Okay. It was the other bat they gave us to to hold and take pictures with was a, a game-used bat from ba- by Babe Ruth. So uh, we were all just pretty in heaven. Um, being He used a 45-ounce bat. Most major leaguers use a bat that's 33, 34, 35 ounces. Uh, 45 ounces. Um, Man. The babe had these huge hands, and, of course, he was a pretty big guy. And so his bat was very different from everybody else's, but that was really a treat. And walking behind the scenes at Yankee Stadium, you know, the tours of the ballparks can really be a special thing if you go and you can't go to a game. Um, go Make sure that you get at least a tour. Yankee Stadium, really a special place. Um, we got caught in traffic, didn't get to the site of the original polo grounds, but did get to the site of the original Ebbets Field, um, which is uh, now a housing project in Brooklyn. 
But where home plate was, you can actually go there, and there's a little tiny plaque that commemorates where home plate would have been at Ebbets Field. Um, last day, we went to the Jackie Robinson Museum, uh, which is in Manhattan. Uh, it's in uh, mid to lower Midtown. Uh, it was really worth a visit. And then we went to the Yogi Berra Learning Center over in New Jersey, uh, Yogi's Museum, which was also, I mean, these are not places you'll spend three or four hours, but they're worth a stop and worth a visit of 45 minutes to an hour. The Yogi Berra thing is has very easy parking. Jackie Robinson's in Manhattan, so your, your parking's going to be a challenge there, but a subway stop right there, right next to the museum, so easy way to visit. Um, we had a wonderful time. If you're a baseball fan and you have been all of your life, uh, these are some places that you should go to. But um, Cooperstown, I would say, was a favorite um, stop. And probably getting to hold that bat that once was held by Babe Ruth, if you're a baseball fan, that was pretty special. Did you take a couple of licks to give it a kind of a... We weren't allowed to swing the bat, but because <laughs> of the danger of you know hitting other people and stuff, we were in an enclosed area. But you could hold it and put it on your shoulder. Um, okay. Which and get a picture taken with it and stuff like that, which is like you're gonna swing it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just the fact sweet. that you're that's in the, really sweet. Just being in the presence of the babe for a few yeah. moments was special. Outstanding. Well, thanks for that, Mark. It sounded like you said that everybody had a great time. Quite an experience for uh, for those that are. Uh, baseball fans uh, yeah. and i would imagine if you were just kind of a minor baseball fan after a trip like that uh, you'd probably come back as a as a major fan today's mailbag from kalia she says i got on board a southwest flight recently a woman with a huge carry-on bag trying to get it into the overhead because she was short the bag she couldn't quite get it in on by herself uh lady said she couldn't really help out because she was too far away she was amazed that the the uh, flight attendant uh, offered her no help at all. Thought that was rather odd. Small thing, but should the flight attendant help with a situation like that, Mark? Answer is, surprisingly, no. Um, flight attendants have a little saying that they say, you pack it, you rack it. Um, it's not their responsibility. It's not part of their job to help you put your bag into the overhead. If you brought a bag that's too busy, too heavy and you can't get it up there, then um, you probably shouldn't have packed that much stuff in the bag to put in the overhead. So, yes, flight attendants report regularly injuries. Um, I talked to a lady one day on a flight. I guess it's been probably about a year ago. Um, her She was out of work for a year and a half. She sure hurt her shoulder. She didn't know she already had a weak shoulder. She was putting a bag up there. It ripped her shoulder up. So this is all these flight attendants have heard these stories from other flight attendants. This is why... If they are not going to rush, especially if they can see you're having trouble putting a heavy bag up there, also their attitude a little bit is if you can't get it up there and you realize you can't get it up there, maybe you'll do something a little differently next time. There you go. Uh, you know, uh, once in a while you'll see a flight attendant help someone. If you do, just realize that that is out of the norm. That's, yeah. that, is, that is not normally what And goes probably on. a lighter suitcase, you know. <laughs> there you go. Okay, John Stenar writes, recently you said something about cutting the line at rental car counters at airports. He, they didn't catch uh, everything that you had said. He says, I spent, most of an hour, I spent almost an hour in line recently, and I'd love to, 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 you to share a tip uh, so to, to cut, that, uh, cut that wait time. Well, uh, the, the, the answer to this is, as we've talked before, um, is that 
join the frequent renter club. Because whatever it is, Avis Hertz, Dollar National, uh, Pudunk, whatever it is, join their frequent cl- uh, club. Even if you don't have a long record of rentals, it'll at least show them that your intention is to be a customer. Oftentimes there are lines for people who belong to Hertz Gold and people who don't. And so that's one way to cut the line right there, then and there. The other thing really, really, really is get the app on your phone. In many case, more and more cases every day, you're able to bypass check-in counters and check-in from your phone and maybe just pick up a key at the end of the counter or in the vehicle itself. So uh, get the app and join the Frequent Renter Club for the car rental company that you're using, even if it's only a one-time use. Caleb asks, my boyfriend and I will be traveling to nearly every national park on the West Coast this summer. That sounds like a great trip. Yeah. I'm trying to, uh, to to get backpacking permits. Some parks it's easy, some very, very time-consuming and frustrating. Do you have any tips? Uh, all, yeah, it's not, I'm not surprised to hear that many parks are different, even within, you know, you'd think all the California state parks or all the Oregon state parks or something would be the same. All the national parks would be the same. Not the case. Some of this, unfortunately, has to do with the people who who operate, who run the parks. Uh, Some superintendents and people who are in charge of particular parks have different philosophies about how available things should be to people. You would think they would want visitors to come and see things, but not everybody works that way. Uh, They may say that. But my history tells me that not everybody works that way. So it's not surprising that you're having trouble getting permits. Um, Also, uh, these folks are overwhelmed and understaffed. So that's part of the problem, too. Um, Just be persistent and know that. Um, because of the number of people that are demanding these things, it's overwhelming the system. The one big tip I would give you, if you're going to someplace to hike or backpack, national park, wherever, parking is limited, these places are in huge demand this summer, go early in the day, especially if you know that the parking is limited. Well, all right. If you have a question for the Travel Guys, be sure to go to TravelGuysRadio.com. Right there on the homepage, you can... uh, type out your question and leave it for us all right mark next week on the show next week on the show we're going to talk about airports that are cheap and not so cheap to fly out of and where sacramento fits in that and you will be very surprised i have some not so good news for folks who fly from sacramento in the meantime dance like nobody's watching stay well my friends see you next time